Well, I've got a sore throat because I was at two of those water polo games yesterday too and yelling my head off and then I came home and cut grass in dusty conditions and then watched the Astros win and just kind of kept going and, and then my, I was brought back down to earth by another ball game that I won't mention. Uh, so anyway, I'm glad I at least have a voice today. Listen, the, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible is in today's passage as we are following the life of Jesus uh, through the book of John. Anybody have that verse memorized by heart, the shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody know it? Say it. Right, Jesus wept. It's, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but folks, I believe it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible because it lets us have a window into the compassion Jesus has for those of us who grieve. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center on the way out. We also have a Spanish version for you or for a friend if they need one. But John is in the New Testament, so it's, it's three-fourths of the way through your Bible if you're flipping there, and it's one of the first four books. We call them Gospels. Gospel means good news. In the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. So they, they come at it from different angles and, and they're written for different audiences. We're looking at the book of John, the fourth one, and uh, we're gonna be in John 11. You also, if you have the BPF app, you can just pull up the app and all the, all the text is there as well. I want you to make you, I wanna make you aware of something though today as, as we are uh, following our journey uh, through the book of John of the life of Jesus is the subject matter's getting heavy. It was heavy last week. It's going to be heavy today. And the reason it's heavy is because we're nearing the end of Jesus' life. We're nearing the point of time where Jesus is going to go intentionally and set himself up to be crucified and to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And so we're going to be dealing more often in these, in these coming weeks with, with the subjects of grief and suffering. But just keep in mind, folks, as we, as we continue this journey, that Resurrection Sunday is coming it's going to be a while, but it's coming. It's coming. In John 11, we find Jesus grieving with two sisters over the loss of their brother. And I just want to tell you, I feel, as I read this passage, I felt the emotions uh, very keenly in this story in a deeply personal way because I lost my mother-in-law just less than three weeks ago. So I've experienced the pain of prayers not being answered the way I'd wished I have um, I felt the emotions similar to the ones that these sisters felt as, as friends and family came to, to grieve with them and to mourn with them. I know what that feels like. I could picture that because I was experiencing that at the time. But I also cling to the hope of the resurrection just as these sisters did, just as Jesus promised. So this is the story today in John 11 of a man named Lazarus who died and was raised back to life, but it's really more about Jesus than it is Lazarus, right? Lazarus doesn't do much in this story except die. So Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus, as were his sisters, Mary and Martha. They lived in a village called Bethany, which was just outside Jerusalem, the capital city. Now, Jesus spent most of the time, most of his ministry in northern Israel, in a town called Capernaum, but, but whenever he would come down to Jerusalem, he used Bethany as his base, and most likely... When he came down there, he stayed with one of these three siblings in one of their houses whenever he would come down to visit. Theirs was a close, close friendship. So when Lazarus became ill, his sisters thought of Jesus. Look at, we'll pick up the story in John 11, verse 3. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's all they needed to say. They knew Jesus was healing people of every kind of disease, and they knew if they could just get word to Jesus that he would come and heal his friend. Verse 4, when he heard this, when the message got to him, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. He's not saying it to the sisters because he's, he's a ways away from them. He's saying it to the messenger and for the sake of his disciples who are listening. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Let me tell you something. It's likely that Lazarus had already died when Jesus said this sickness will not end in death. So that doesn't seem to make sense. Then he said the purpose of Lazarus' illness was to display God's glory and bring glory to him, the Son of God. You may remember Jesus said the same thing about the man who was born blind, whose stories we read about in chapter 9 a few weeks ago. This story and that comment about this is for God's glory, this raises all kinds of questions about suffering. But I want you to know that the fact that God is sometimes glorified through human suffering does not mean God turns his back on us or that he doesn't care. In fact, sometimes we feel the love of God most intimately in our suffering and in our grief. I certainly did. When I lost both of my parents in less than a five-month period when I was, when I was 33, and my dad would have been 98 today if he was still alive. I felt the love again of, of um, God during these past few weeks. Again, as I said goodbye to someone I love dearly. Here's what I've learned about suffering, okay? Jesus sometimes allows suffering for greater purposes than we can see. And maybe sometimes we'll see those, understand those, but a lot of times we're never going to see what those purposes are, at least not in this lifetime. Sometimes we will. We cannot always understand his ways, but I can tell you, I can tell you from personal experience, we can always trust that God is good. God is good. He's been good to me. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. He heard Lazarus was sick, and so he did nothing. I always wondered about that. Why? He waited two days before he went back to help his friend, a friend that he could have helped. That just seems wrong. I'm glad that John, who wrote this gospel, this book we call John, I'm glad John gives details in the story to help us understand this timeline. For one thing, these details that we are reading and will read help us see that Jesus' delay is not the cause of Lazarus' death. No. As I said earlier, Lazarus was probably already dead when Jesus was told of his illness. Here's a timeline, okay? It probably took a day for the messenger to find Jesus. Jesus was not back up in Capernaum, but he was on the other side of the Jordan River we learned from previous verses. He was on the other side of the Jordan River, so it probably took a day for the messenger to find Jesus with the, with the news that Lazarus was sick. And then Jesus waited two days, then traveled a day to Bethany, four days. And as we'll see in a moment, when he arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. They generally would bury people the same day they passed away. So Lazarus died, more than likely, 
right after the sisters sent message to Jesus. Jesus knew that. He knew that. Just as he knew the Samaritan woman's uh, story before he ever met her that we read about here in chapter 4 earlier. Just as he knew Nathaniel was praying under a tree that we read in the first chapter, first or second chapter of John. He knew that because he's God. He knows everything. And he also knew in this story, he also knew that after four days, there would be no doubt that indeed Lazarus was dead. It wasn't uncommon for people to think someone had passed away and then for them to revive a day or so later. But at four days, there was no doubt. So Jesus said, let's go back. But here brings up another troubling point in this story. His disciples objected. They didn't want to go back, and, and for good reason. Look at verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? They did not want to go back anywhere near Jerusalem where they would not only risk Jesus being killed, but themselves being killed. And it's hard to blame them. Now, Jesus' response was a little puzzling. And I don't have time to explain that right now, but I will. As someone came after the first service, I will explain if you want to know afterwards. But you can discuss it in small groups if you want to this week. But skip down to verse 11, okay? So Jesus said, let's go back. Now, verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. You know what they're thinking? Hey, he'll get better. We don't need to go. Let's just stay here and chill out. He's going to be fine. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. That's why this book of John is here, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I love Thomas. He's one of my favorite disciples, Thomas. Now, he's known to most Christians as Doubting Thomas because if you remember from the resurrection story, when Jesus came back to life, he came and saw the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. When Thomas came back, they said, he's alive. And he goes, I'll believe it when I see it. And so people call him Doubting Thomas. I don't believe Thomas was a doubter. Thomas just wanted data. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? All the engineers and accounts just went, yes, that's what I've been telling so I tell these people, in God we trust, all others must bring data. Okay, not only, not only was Thomas logical, he was also very courageous. And I, don't th- I think people miss that. Thomas was courageous. The rest of the disciples would one day match Thomas's bravery and boldness. They would, but not this day. This day, Thomas was alone. Thomas was the first to rise up when Jesus said, let us go to him. And basically, Thomas replied, let's roll. Let's do this. So to Bethany, they would go. Look at verse 17. On his arrival in Bethany, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Here's all these details I was talking about earlier. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's not aware of what's about to happen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never 
die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And she, she still, she clearly did not understand Lazarus was about to walk out of that grave. But she did believe Jesus was God. And that was enough for her in her grief. She did not believe in Jesus because of his miracles. She believed him because she realized he was God. Listen, you don't, don't miss this. You don't have to understand everything that's going on to believe Jesus is the Son of God. You don't. You believe a lot of things without understanding them. You believe your car will crank up even though you don't understand anything about the internal combustion engine. You believe your phone will work even though you don't understand anything about the microchips in it. You use air conditioning without understanding how compressors work. Well, some of you do because some of you are air conditioning folks. But most of you don't know how the compressor works, but you know how to turn that AC up or down. You don't have to understand everything or all your circumstances to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Martha, Martha trusted him. I will tell you this, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, Jesus will reveal enough of himself to keep you going. And sometimes he'll just keep you going for the next few hours, not to the next day or the next year. And you just keep trusting him and he'll keep you going. Look back to verse 35. I want to go back to that. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You know, Jesus didn't say, I can resurrect your brother. I can bring him back to life. That's not how he said it. He was saying something bigger, more important. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. This is what we need to take from this. Our hope is not in miracles. Our hope is in Jesus. It's not in what Jesus can do for us. It's just who Jesus is. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection. It's far greater than anything he could do right now, than any prayer he could answer for us. After Martha declared her faith in Jesus, in spite of her brother dying and not knowing and not expecting that anything was going to change about that, she went to get her sister Mary. Look at verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Skip down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That's the exact same thing Martha said to her. Can you imagine how many times they must have said, if Jesus would just get here, if Jesus could get here, oh, if he would have been here, if he would have, if he would have, it would have been different. Oh, if Jesus had only come, when we ask him. I want you to picture the scene as Jesus is, is arriving here and as he's speaking to these two sisters. He's stepping into their world of grief. They have had probably the greatest loss they've ever experienced in life. And Jesus is standing with them. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I, I wish I had time to go into to the Greek language to explain to you the power of these words. She probably wasn't weeping, she was wailing. And Jesus didn't just kind of feel sorry for her, he was moved in spirit. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. I believe God's love is the most powerful force in the world. 
See how he loved him. I wonder if very many people before this time had seen that side of Jesus. Have you? Have you seen the side of Jesus that grieves when you grieve? Have you picked up on that as you read through the Bible? Do you realize that when you ache from the loss of someone that you love, he aches with you? He does. John was sure to put this in here so that we could see that. Now, Jesus could have looked at her because he's God. He knows what he's about to do. It's about to be an exciting place, but it wasn't at this point. He could have said, listen, everything happens for a reason. We say that all the time. I'm not so sure that's true. But everything happens for a reason. He could have said that, or he could have said, hey, hang on. See what I'm about to do? It's going to get crazy here. But instead, he just wept. He just wept. Don't miss this about his love for us. Before Jesus fixes our problems, he joins our pain. I promise you, he feels the pain that you feel when a plan doesn't come together, when a prayer isn't answered. I love the way a pastor from a previous generation describes the completeness of Jesus' love for us. G. Campbell Morgan, a British pastor from the 19th century, he said, Jesus will give you heaven presently but he weeps with you today in the midst of your sorrow. As someone living in a season of grief, let me just say that cards, flowers, acts of kindness, offers of help, man, they're so so comforting. We appreciate the countless ways many of you have loved us during this time, especially the brownies and bluebell. Oh, my goodness. I've eaten way too much of those. Fortunately, our scale has been broken for a while, so we haven't really been reminded of that, but I bought one yesterday, and it's not good. But listen, all that is wonderful, and that's great, and I encourage you to do that for each other. But nothing is more comforting than people who simply show up and grieve with us. And that's what Jesus did first. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Can you imagine how shocking that was? That's just not something you do. That's not something that would occur to anyone to do. You just don't. Bring somebody up out of the grave four days after they've passed. Just don't do that. But they did. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he prayed. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. Now, can you imagine if he hadn't said Lazarus and just said, come out? It would have looked like a zombie apocalypse, man. All these graves bursting up and everybody walking out there. Details matter. Details matter. Just ask an accountant, engineer, they'll tell you. Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That's how they prepared people for burial. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's one of the coolest stories in the Bible. 
And this is how it ends. Just boop, that's it. It's kind of anticlimactic. But as we'll see next week, you got to come back for that. It created quite a stir. Let's go back to the sister's disappointment, though, that Jesus didn't come back when they asked, because it's important. I don't want to miss over that. I think it's one of the most important things for us. The sisters knew that Jesus could save their brother. They knew he loved their brother. There was no doubt in their minds, and they knew that it was just a simple plan. Send word to Jesus. He'll come back. He'll heal Lazarus, and everything will be okay, and we can just keep moving forward the way we've been. He could have made it work, but he didn't, and they don't understand why. They just know if he would have come back, he could have. Why not? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, And we can look here and we can see that there was a greater plan in place. Through their failed plan and broken hearts, they got to see that Jesus had something far better than their plans. They got to see it that day. Most of the time, we don't get to see how things are going to work out. We just have to trust that they will. Folks, we've all had plans that didn't work out. Prayers, not answers, as we would have wished. I had lots of plans for my parents to, to get to see their grandkids growing up, and neither one of my boys really got to know my parents well. Things don't happen the way we hope. And we don't understand why. And the only thing I can tell you is I think it's helpful to be reminded of what God said to us through the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came onto the scene here in this story. God lets us know, he said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's what I do know when I cannot understand God's ways. I know this, God's glory will ultimately be displayed in our lives, in our circumstances, and at the same time, if he doesn't change our circumstances, he will love us through those circumstances. You see, the glory of God and the love of God are not at odds. Even when he uses sickness and suffering to bring glory to himself. I want you to see evidence of this truth in a tragedy that some of you may remember that took place in the Dallas area last December up and actually in the town of Mesquite less than a year ago. My dad was so goofy. He was just a, a super funny, but super loving and caring guy. He loved his job as a police officer, and uh, he, he was full of energy all the time. I remember growing up and going to church every Sunday with my, my mom and my dad. And at the age of seven, uh, my dad actually um, kind of walked me through salvation. On December 3rd, I was at Dallas Baptist University uh, and I went to class that morning and had some homework to do after and so I left and I got a text from a pastor of mine and he said, are you at home or are you at DBU? And my mom ended up texting me the same question. So I knew something was wrong. So I went to my car, called her right away and I said, you know, what's going on? She said, your dad was in an accident today. I said, you know, okay, where is he? Uh, what's wrong? And uh, that's when she said the words, uh, he's not here anymore. At this time, uh, Richard and Shelly's oldest daughter, Shelby, is going to pay tribute. You know, what do you, what do you say, you know, and what do you do? And, and I knew this day would come at some point in my life. 
Um, however, I didn't think it would come so soon. And there's so much I want to say about my dad. It's funny looking back on my eulogy because it's just totally not me. It's totally Jesus. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. After I left um, the graveside burial, I got out my phone and I had so many messages uh, just from people who had watched all across the country, but even like the world. And even people coming to me saying, I, I don't believe in Jesus at all. But just the words that you said have encouraged me to go to church again or um, to purchase a Bible. Maybe for the first time people truly felt or saw what it was like to know Jesus. Just seeing so many lives being turned to Jesus, there, there's no words for that. And unfortunately, um, I had to lose him uh, to see just the redemption and the way that Jesus has used this. I know that he um, would probably look back and say, you know, it was all worth it to know that people will be with Jesus forever because of it. You know, if I could tell my dad anything, it would probably just be that uh, it was worth it. It was worth it. When we learn to trust Jesus, really trust him, we will see and experience things we could never see and experience on our own. We'll be able to do things that we can't do on our own, like she said. And like Shelby, you'll one day know I don't know when that day would come, but you'll one day know it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, don't assume that she's not still hurting. Don't assume that like maybe some of you, she doesn't cry herself to sleep still. It hasn't even been a year since she lost her dad, and I'm sure that when December 3rd rolls around here in a few months, it's going to be a hard day for her and all of her family. I'm certain she still grieves. But folks, here's the difference when you follow Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have hope. This miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, it was about something bigger than, than removing the sister's grief or even bringing Lazarus, their brother, back to them. It was about displaying the power of Jesus over death. And you will feel that power in your life if you put your trust in him. Let's go back to what Jesus said to Martha again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever leaves by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. Yes, Lord. Folks, our bodies have an expiration date, every one of us. But our souls do not. It's only a matter of where our souls will go after our bodies expire. We're all going to die physically. 
one way or the other, sooner or maybe later. And the only thing that will matter for every one of us in here, the only thing that will matter 100 years from now, are whether or not you believe in Jesus. That's all that's going to matter. It's whether or not you have faith in Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you? Some of you have just been coming here. And I hope this has been a welcome place for you to explore faith. But there's a point where you don't just come and experience and sing songs and think this is nice because life is going well. But there's a point at which you own your faith. We call that stepping over the line of faith. We had a baptism for a young man uh, before this service today. He put his faith in Jesus as a child. Baptized two people last week that came to faith in Jesus as adults. They believe. Jesus revealed himself to them. Do you believe this? Man, if you've been coming exploring the faith, for some of you, I think it's time now that you put your faith in him. And if you're ready to do that, I can help you do that. I can help you step over the line of faith with a simple prayer. So I'd like to ask all of you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, pray for people who are considering that decision right now. And if you are ready to make that decision to follow Jesus, then I just invite you to pray along with me. Just say, Jesus, I, like Martha, believe you're the Son of God. I do. And I want to put my trust in you. I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I know you died to pay the penalty for my sin. I put my trust in you. I choose to follow you. And I choose to believe in you. Even when I can't understand all that you do. I'll just simply trust you. And hope that one day you answer those questions. Even if you don't, I trust you. Amen.